It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Well, it's here. The most hotly anticipated poll of the election campaign has landed. YouGov publishing its MRP model with the times what does mrp stand for the multi-level regression and post-stratification model it basically takes a huge sample poll over a hundred thousand people and tries to model how different types of voters in different parts of the country are planning to vote and then from that project what the election result would be so you want the cold hard numbers as it stands, this model suggests the Conservatives will increase their number of seats. They will have an overall majority of 68 seats, going from 318 MPs in 2017 to 359. Now, Labour will lose 51 seats, dropping from 262 to 211. The Lib Dems make almost no progress at all, losing some seats, gaining some seats, up from 12 to just 13 The SNP jumped from 35 to 43, taking back lots of the seats they lost two years ago. Pai Cymru on four. Uh, No gains at all for the Brexit Party or any of the independents who are standing across the country. So what is this MRP? How does it work? How is this different to a standard voting poll? What impact have the last few days, extraordinary days in British politics, had on it? And will this play out differently over the next two weeks and what impact will the final couple of weeks of the campaign have on models like this? To answer all of those questions, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Curtis from YouGov. Chris, let's just talk through, first of all, the headline figures. Tories projected a 359 seats, Labour 211, Lib Dems 13, Brexit Party not getting any, the Greens still on one, the SNP up on 43, Plaid on four. What is this telling us? Talk us through who's up, who's down. So we've obviously got the vote shares as well, which are fairly in line with what we've been seeing in our national polls. Actually, it's exactly the same vote share for the main two parties as it was in our national poll yesterday. So 43% for the Conservatives, Labour on 32%. Now, I suppose it shouldn't necessarily be a shock that if the Conservative Party is 11 points ahead like that, they're going to be gaining a load of these seats. And in fact, that is what the model shows. It gives the Conservatives a projected majority of 68 as they're gaining all of these seats off the Labour Party. Labour Party is down quite considerably on their 2017 vote share and they're gaining those Labour Conservative marginal seats and that's making up for the few losses that they're making against the Lib Dems and against the SNP. So before we get let, before we get stuck into the numbers and the, the who's up and who's down and the churn and all of that, just explain to people how this works because 
Of course, there were people who say, oh, but, you know, this is YouGov and all the polls were wrong in 2017. But famously, you, you ran this MRP model in 2017 and it forecast a, a hung parliament and everyone said, oh, that must be mad. Uh, and then, of course, that's what ended up happening. Explain what MR, what does MRP stand for? How does it work? And why is this a better indicator in the sort of the general voter intention polls? So MRP stands for multi-level regression and post-ratification, which is obviously way too long to be acceptable, which is why we call it MRP, or some people call it Mr. P, um, to try and sound even more groovy. Generally <laughs> speaking, what we're doing is we're interviewing tens of thousands of people. In fact, I think this uses just over 100,000 interviews conducted over the past seven days. And what that allows us to do is work out using this model exactly how likely every single type of voter in the country is to vote. So an old voter, a young voter, an educated voter, a you know, 49-year-old who lives in a particular part of the country and, and has this level of education and is married and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it allows us to come up with a probability of that type of voter voting for each of the political parties. Then what we do is we build a, a big sort of picture of how each constituency in the country looks and how many types of all of those voters there are in each of the 632 Great British constituencies. And then we basically match those two things up, total up all of the different types of voters in each area. And that means we can come up with a probability of each party winning each constituency. This is one way of trying to strip out the problem of of some places which might have more older people, younger people, more or less inclined to vote and that sort of thing. Yeah, more remain voters, more leave voters, all of those kind of things. And it goes you know, quite a bit further than our traditional uniform national swing model, which would have just you know, gone, well, Labour's up 4%, let's add their 4% vote share on everywhere, uh, which we know, given the increasingly sort of complicated dynamics of our electoral system, isn't very good at capturing exactly what's going to happen. And is there a lot of churn? I mean, it looks like, based on these numbers, the Tories are adding votes in the places they need to, rather than piling them up in places that they didn't. The Conservative Party vote share now is pretty much well, it's pretty much at its level it was in 2017, and that's because they are holding on to eight and ten of their 2017 votes, and then they're adding on sort of a few levers from other places, uh, most notably the Labour Party. Uh, so about one in ten voters who supported the Labour Party in 2017 have now moved over to the Conservatives, and that's not being reciprocated by voters going the other way. And when you run it run it out across the board, that means that they are getting slightly larger swings in those levier seats in the north and the Midlands and being able to, to, to gain a load of a load of Labour seats there. Okay, so let's talk about the Conservative gains. Projecting forty one Conservatives. I mean that's that's a big old chunk of seats. Which are the most interesting or surprising ones in those that leap out for you? Yeah, so I mean, you get what you'd expect in that the smaller the majority, the easier it is um, for the Tories to gain seats. Uh, but when you sort of delve into the data a little bit, actually, the Conservatives are doing really well in the very Levy seats. So they're gaining seats like Don Valley. They're eight points up um, in a seat like Don Valley, which is quite a Levy seat. Um, whereas on the other end of the scale, um, some of the remaining seats, and we mentioned the shock win in Canterbury that happened in the 2017 election, Labour's still actually slightly ahead in that seat on our current numbers. So that just shows how the sort of traditional uniform national swing models would have gone, well, of course, there's no way in hell Labour are going to win Canterbury on 11-point Tory lead. Actually, this model is able to capture that a lot of those seats in the South. Uh, Stroud is another good example of a seat where Labour sort of won. And actually, it's still in a, won in 2017. You'd expect it to go on this model. And it's only just going to the Conservatives on this model. It's in the um, realms of too close to call. So it shows that these swings are different across the seats and it's able to, to capture that picture. So to what extent is 
essentially, rather than people think, well, Theresa May failed to do this in 2017, she did the, some of the hard yards in 2017. She, she got much closer in some of these areas, potentially pushed some traditional Labour voters in these leave seats to thinking about voting Tory and what Boris Johnson is doing is sort of actually flipping them. I'm actually not sure it is so much that. Okay. Boris, Boris Johnson's achieved pretty much exactly what Theresa May's achieved. The one big difference is that Jeremy Corbyn in 2019 hasn't managed to achieve what Jeremy Corbyn achieved in 2017. Oh, interesting. Well, even though we've seen the Lib Dems squeezed during this campaign, they've not been squeezed as much as they were in 2017. So in a lot of those seats, there's more of those Labour voters going over to the Liberal Democrats. Also, the Greens vote shares up. So going over to the Greens in those seats. And that means that the Conservative Party can pretty much hold their 2017 vote and still get over the line. So we're talking about then, so the, the top Tory seats they take, Barron Furness, Ashfield, Wakefield, Peniston and Stocksbridge, Eastbourne from the Lib Dems, that one, then Newcastle under Lyme, Rotherham Valley, Bishop Auckland, Don Valley, as you were saying, um, held by Caroline Flint. There's a bit of churn though, isn't there? Because then you've also got the Tories losing uh, potentially quite a few. Starmerson, Albans, Richmond Park, Stirling, East Renfrewshire, Cheltenham, Chipping, Barnet. They're, I mean, a lot of these are either Scottish or Remain seats. Yeah. Yes. So the general dynamic was, and we've been saying this throughout this entire election campaign, is the Tories look set to lose seats to the Lib Dems. They look set to lose seats to the SNP. But can they make up for it by gains again, uh, from the Labour Party? On these numbers, there's a, looks like there's quite a few gains from the Labour Party and actually very few losses. Five seats where they are under a 50% chance of the Tories losing them. So actually, they are holding on in most of those areas we expected them to lose, but still making the wide gains against Labour, which we expected them to gain. So let's talk about the Lib Dems then. You've got a projection of them winning 13 seats this time, which is up one on 2017. Not quite the game changer Prime Minister Joe Swinson was hoping for. The Liberal Democrats have ended up having a very difficult election campaign considering how strongly they came into it. And we've seen their vote share squeezed and squeezed and squeezed as the campaign's gone on. They're on 13% in our opinion poll yesterday. Um, and they're just, as they always have been, struggling under the first past the post electoral system. So these seats that they look still set to pick up, St Albans, Richmond Park, Sheffield, Hallam, um, are pretty much you know being mirrored by seats that they look set to lose, the sort of slightly levier seats, Eastbourne, North Norfolk, um, and then a couple of seats in Scotland, which they could lose um, because the SNP are doing so well up there. And one thing that will panic the Lib Dems more than anything is that one of the seats which is a possible Lib Dem lost is East Dunbartonshire, the seat of Lib Dem leader Joe Swinson. Yes, and the model still doesn't show that they're likely to lose it. In fact, they have about a 73% chance of winning it. But obviously, you can't lose your leader's seat. So they're going to have to be, you know, still pumping resources um, into a seat that they would have hoped they could have put in the bank right now and been focusing those resources on in other places where, you know, they, they'd be hoping to gain. And that's that's presumably the problem that it, it, with the polls being squeezed like this, even if they don't, I mean, they'll sit now see this model, but they'll have been doing their own uh, polling and that sort of thing as well. Uh, if they're having to put resources and time and energy into hanging on to what should be, if not safe, then, you know, safer Lib Dem seats, then they're not going to be making big gains elsewhere. Yeah, and they're also going to be, I imagine, worried about the trajectory because what this model is is it's it's not a pr prediction of what's going to happen on election day. It's a it's 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 an analysis of where we are now. Now, if you're the Liberal Democrat and you've been squeezed hard nationally over the past couple of weeks, you'll also be worried that you could be squeezed even further um, in the coming weeks. And therefore, even in those seats that you would have hoped would have been safe. Um, you know, the, the probability of you winning them could continue to go down over the course of this campaign. 
Um, one of the striking things, I remember after the 2017 election going to the sort of, I think it was supposed to be a celebration photo opportunity. It was more like a sort of wake for the SNP uh, returning to the Commons uh, in Westminster with far fewer seats. They were down to 35 in 2017. This projection has got them going back up to 43. Are they just taking back seats from everyone uh, a little bit i mean mostly it's coming from the labor party so if we've seen the labor party vote share go down in um, england and the tories managing to gain seats basically on the same 2017 vote share the same is kind of happening in scotland the labor party's dropped off a bit so the smp can broadly gain seats just even if they just stand still um, from the labor party and that's where most of their gains are coming from um, there's some seats which they look set to gain from the Tories. Sterling um, should be an easy pickup for them, and uh, you know possibly some from the Lib Dems as well. But mostly their gains in Scotland are going to come from those handful of seats the Labour Party managed to gain from them. Broadly speaking, what this model shows, and Scotland is always the hardest place to predict because it's got its own political dynamics, which act completely separate to the rest of the country. And yet, you know, we still have to build a model for them, but with less data points because it's a, it's a smaller area. Broadly speaking, what this model is showing is that the SNP are likely to end up somewhere between their incredible performance in 2015 and their fairly good performance in 2017. And just in terms of the Brexit party, are they, are they having any impact at all? So in terms of Brexit party impact, it is one of the reasons the Liberal Democrats are struggling so much, because most of the seats the Liberal Democrats would want to gain are conservative held seats. What's happened there? The Brexit party have decided not to stand, which means they're not splitting the leave vote, which means the Lib Dems can't come through the middle. In terms of the seats they are standing in, uh, they are, you know, going to be making things a little bit more difficult for the Tories. The Tories are probably going to be some seats which the Tories aren't going to gain off Labour because the Brexit party is standing there rather than standing down, as was discussed um, at points earlier in the campaign. But, you know, with a majority this large, is it's not something I think that's going to be keeping Boris Johnson up at night. And it's worth pointing out that there are 30-odd Conservative Labour marginals where the lead is potentially 5% or less. So there could be some more churn, as you were saying. This is a snapshot of if the election was right now and not if it was in two weeks' time. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's been a little bit less true across YouGov's polling. But if we look at the polls um, across the board... Um, we have seen a small closing of the gap in that Conservative Party lead over the past week and a half. We have seen um, across all polling the Labour Party vote share increasing. Now, at the moment, that gap is 11%. If you can get it into the sort of danger zone, so a Tory lead of maybe uh, 6 or 7%, suddenly um, you'll start to see panic you know, in Downing Street and among in, inside the Conservative Party campaign, because at that point, this majority that we're currently projecting is suddenly going to look a little bit, you know, a little bit more difficult for the um, for the Conservative Party. And just finally, you said that this has been based on a sort of hundred thousand sample poll, which has been running essentially over the last week. So this will capture some of the manifesto launches. At what point might we start sort of seeing, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's terrible interview with Andrew Neil feed it? How long does it take for sort of those big points in the election campaign to sort of feed into a model like this? Uh, so this is probably the point where it gets a little bit too clever uh, for me to understand. Uh, we work with academics from uh, UCL here in London, but also Stanford in the US. But broadly speaking, what it's doing is looking at whether the, uh, the, the data has changed over the fieldwork period. And if it has changed, it will be putting more weight on the more recent numbers. So to a certain extent, this will be um, accounting for the manifesto launches if the manifesto launches did indeed move things. What it won't be doing yet, though, is accounting for the Andrew Neil interview last night and the claims of anti-Semitism uh, yesterday. Fieldwork for this uh, 
closed at four o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, so that, that was the final interview that took place that went into this model because uh, the model takes a few hours to run. It ran overnight on Tuesday and then the results are released this evening. I suppose the big question is, are you going to be repeating this as an exercise in the run-up to the election to try and track you know, what movement there has been? The, the details aren't 100% confirmed yet, but we will be repeating this um, at least once later in the campaign. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, Chris Curtis, thanks so much. So there we have it. The results from the YouGov MRP model. To dig into the data, to explore interactive maps and charts, and for all the analysis you need on who is up and who is down, who is in and who is out, just go to thetimes.co.uk or pick up a copy of The Times on Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well so you don't miss any future episodes, including my regular Friday election episode, rounding up the week with Esther Webber. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>